Is where we will be exploring Korean popular culture through books. I'm the host of this podcast, Mina, and I can't wait to talk about books with you. We are now on episode three of my Pride season, where we take a closer look at LGBTQ Korean stories. As I mentioned in previous episodes, there are various terminologies that different people within the LGBTQ community prefer to use. For the most part, I will stick to whatever terminology the writers and translators use or the articles I'm referencing and quoting use. I will also use the term queer to refer to this group collectively. The book that we are taking down from the bookshelf today is The Summer by Choi Eun-young, translated by Jamie Chang. We will also be taking down the book Concerning My Daughter by Kim Hye-jin later on in this episode. A content warning that we will be discussing abuse, violence, homophobia, and discrimination. In this episode, we sort of hover near topics of a sexual nature, so please take care. In my episode about Holland, who is an out gay K-pop idol, I talked about the history of queer rights in Korea and prominent gay entertainer Hong Sok Chun, who was the first out Korean celebrity in Korea. With regards to famous lesbians, in the realm of K-pop, one person I learned about is the solo singer Ma Gopi, who debuted in 2007. In Magopi's debut video, they don't actually show her face. They show instead a little girl, who I think is supposed to represent her. And surrounding this little girl are major K-pop stars from that time, including a G.O.D. member, members of TVXQ, and members of Super Junior. I will link to that video in my show notes. Later in her career, she also had a music video with a lesbian trope, which came out in 2015 under a different label. She started going by the stage name Maman during this time. The name of the song with the two women in love is called Ordinary Day. Check out the link in my show notes to see the video. I couldn't find a ton of information about Maman, and it seems that she's been pretty quiet since 2015. I learned from various fan sites that she came out in an interview and was dropped by her first label, Jerry Entertainment, after publicly stating that she was a lesbian. I can't find the actual interview though, so let me know if any of you have it, because I'd love to learn more. Apart from K-pop stars, let's delve a little bit into lesbian history in South Korea. According to a chapter from a book called South Korean Social Movements, the first lesbian group or lesbian social organization in Korea was called Sappho, after the Greek poet, and it was created by an African-American English teacher in 1992. In the Love in the Big City episode, we talked about how the area of Seoul called Itaewon is a big scene for the queer community in Korea. Itaewon is also near a big U.S. military base, so there are a lot of places there catering to foreigners, specifically Westerners. A gay man even joined Sappho, and that man went on to form the first Korean lesbian and gay organization. Check out the link in the show notes to read this chapter from South Korean Social Movements. It's pretty interesting. It's been difficult for me to find English language information about what life is like for lesbians in Korea. I found a personal essay on the lesbian and queer website Autostraddle, from 2012, written by someone who is identified as an American expat living in Korea named Hallie. Before I discuss this essay, I do want to make it clear that, from what I can tell, Hallie is not Korean and she only lived in Korea for two years. The information she provides is just one person's perspective, someone who is not ethnically or culturally part of Korean society, again, at least from what I can tell. Also, this essay is already a decade old, so I can't say whether the experiences Hallie had are still common now, so just keep that in mind. Hallie describes in her essay going to lesbian bars in the neighborhood of Hongdae in Seoul 
and what lesbian hookup culture was like there. The club she goes to, called Labris, 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 I'm not sure how to pronounce it, is in an unmarked building, so already you know that this is a secret club. By the way, I think from what I could tell online, Labris may now be closed, so bear that in mind before your next soul trip if you were hoping to pay it a visit. Hallie talks a lot in her essay about how homosexuality is almost unnamed and unseen in Korean society, at least in 2012. She writes, quote, One girl told me that lesbian high school students, who are too young to get into the clubs, meet in love motels to drink and make out because there's nowhere else for them to go. They allegedly form cliques so fiercely defensive that, if you date a boy, they will beat you up. I started to see a tinge of desperation in the faces at the club as they moved in and out of frenzied drama and hookups and dancing and drinking. It felt like we had to get all our gayness out in that one place, at that one moment, because the minute we stepped out into the real world, we would have to act out the straight show all over again. We would re-enter the world that has no words for us, end quote. Despite all the secrecy surrounding being a gay woman in Korea, in Seoul, apparently, there was some tolerance for same-sex women couples back in 2012. Hallie writes, quote, There are openly affectionate lesbian couples everywhere, on the street, on the subway, in restaurants. Despite being uncomfortable coming out to her family or co-workers, Unji, that's Hallie's Korean girlfriend at the time, had no problem with holding my hand or kissing in public. Gayness is in the air, it's just largely unacknowledged and unspoken, end quote. In 2020, an article was written in the Washington Post about a woman named Kim Kyu-jin and her wife, who flew to New York City to get married. They gave interviews to Korean media outlets. The couple received a tidal wave of negative backlash in the comment section of Korean portal sites where the articles were posted. Quote, the article received about 10,000 comments, 80% of which were negative, she said. Some people told the couple to get out of Korea. Others worried that society and families would fall apart on a tide of lesbian weddings. Some replies were intensely malicious, threatening, and sexual, end quote. Kim Kyu-jin sued 100 of these malicious commenters. Her spouse is not named in the Washington Post article in order to avoid being potentially fired from her job. Although the couple is legally married, albeit outside of Korea, they face many hurdles in their day-to-day lives. Quote, their incomes are treated as separate for the purpose of securing a mortgage. They cannot sign medical consent forms as next of kin. And for inheritances, Korean law gives close family members automatic precedence, leaving anything that benefits an unmarried partner vulnerable to legal challenge. End quote. The next thing I briefly want to touch on is the film The Handmaiden. I kind of didn't want to talk about this movie because, as far as I know, queer people weren't involved in this movie's production or writing. However, since this is a podcast about Korean popular culture, and since this movie's name comes up whenever you research lesbians in Korea, I decided to at least mention it. On this podcast, we spoke about the illustrious film director Park Chanuk in my Hooray for Hollywood episode. He directed the film Old Boy, which I spoke about, as well as many other famous and critically acclaimed films. He is not a gay woman, and yet his name comes up a lot, like I said, when you research queer women in Korea, due to a famous movie he directed in 2016 called The Handmaiden. So, just very briefly, this movie is about two women, a noble lady and her maid, who are in a sexual relationship in 1930s Korea. The movie really commanded quite a bit of attention due to some rather graphic love scenes, So just be aware of that before you sit down to watch it with your elderly parents or grandparents or with your children. There are some other films with a lesbian storyline, but like I said, even when you look for films with lesbian representation in Korea, this is the one that comes up a lot. 
Hopefully more films directed by lesbian and queer women will be released in the future. That said, I found it interesting how critically acclaimed this film was even in Korea, as well as the commercial success it had. Complex Magazine, in discussing the Korean box office performance of the film, wrote, quote, The Handmaiden topped opening weekend with $15.6 million, and its sensationalism probably had a lot to do with it, end quote. Okay, so like, I don't really love the idea that people were sensationalized by the movie's more risque scenes, and therefore that's what drew them to the movie in the first place, but seemingly that is what happened. Complex also quotes director Park Chanuk himself as saying, quote, There weren't people taking to the streets or boycotting the film, referring to reactions that some of his other movies have caused, end quote. The Complex interview was conducted by a journalist with Korean heritage, film critic Kristen Yoon-soo Kim. Kim writes, quote, Even if one film won't change opinions, there's a power to talking about it and even attempting to normalize it, end quote. She then quotes Park Chanuk as saying, quote, When they take a survey in Korea for legalizing same-sex marriage, a majority of Koreans would vote no. But because it's constantly being talked about, people are becoming more and more aware of the issue, he said. Even if Korea as a whole won't agree to same-sex marriage, there is a point to keep on talking about it, and it is at a stage where it's enough so that, even when a film like this comes out, people are finding it to be a shocking news. That's why I believe continuing to talk about the issue and making noise is important, end quote. So now that we've learned a little about lesbians in Korean society, let's talk about the first book for this episode, The Summer by Choi Eun-young. Some of you may remember author Choi Eun-young as the author of the book of short stories called Shoko's Smile. I really loved Shoko's Smile, and I have a couple of episodes dedicated to that book in season one of this podcast. I love the way that this author writes. She writes with this really quiet tone, filled with people's inner emotions and inner worlds, but it's still quite richly depicted. I'm not sure whether Choi Eun-young is part of the queer community, but I love how she writes about women, as she did in the stories within Shoko's Smile. I found her depictions of the characters in the summer to be very realistic as well. You can imagine them as real people. An interview with the author in Yonhap News states, quote, I think Korean society is very highly authoritarian. For those who have even a small shortcoming or who belong to minority groups, Korea is a place that is very difficult to live in, and that seems very violent to me, she said, recalling her childhood and teens in the 1980s and 1990s. The governing militaristic culture made the individual an entity who could not be respected, especially when you are a young female, end quote. She was talking about women and the book Shoko's Smile in that interview, but I think it's illustrative of how some of the queer population in Korea live as well. The book The Summer starts off with the friendship of two teenage girls, Yi-gyung and Su-yi, living in a small town in Korea. They have a sort of meet-cute where one of them accidentally injures the other. They start off as just friends, and it quietly grows into something more. There's a part early on in the book where Yi-gyung recalls having a slight awareness, as a young child, of women who love other women. Unfortunately, she learns about this phenomenon from kids who are making mocking remarks about people who are like this. Sui is a lot more cautious about her public affection for Yi-gyung, and less willing to show it in front of others, but her fear seems not unfounded given the fact that they are in a small town. They make plans to move out of their small town after high school so that they can be together more comfortably. I really love the way the relationship ebbs and flows as they get older. They're out of high school, they're in college or in trade school, and they're living in Seoul, and there's definitely a class divide between them. So Sui receives no support from her parents. She has to attend a trade school that she funds the tuition for herself. And Yi-kyung is going to a university with financial support from her parents. 
While at university, Yikyong starts to try and find and build a community by going to lesbian bars and making friends with others who are like her. But Sui, who generally keeps her feelings more inside, is really content to just only hang out with Yikyong. She doesn't really have an expanded social circle. The book doesn't mention much about their respective families, and it's unclear whether Yikyong and Sui's parents know of their relationship. But based on the fact that Sui's cut off financially from her parents, and that Yikyong is financially supported by hers, one could imagine that maybe if either were out to their parents, or if their parents just know about their daughter's sexuality, that Yikyong's parents are more supportive than Sui's parents. We meet a character named Unji. Don't confuse her for the same Unji that the author Hallie wrote about in that essay. This is a fictional character named Unji. So in the book The Summer, we meet this character named Unji, who recounts the story of being outed to her family by her sister. Unji's uncles and father try to essentially beat her straight, giving her injuries bad enough for her to need stitches. So related to this, I wanted to mention that, like other cultures, unfortunately, corporal punishment is not uncommon in Korea. Corporal punishment in schools in Korea were only outlawed in 2010, and in 2019, when some government ministers were proposing to remove language permitting physical punishment of children from the law, there were many parents who were against the idea of outlawing it, including some parents who planned to continue to carry out corporal punishment regardless of what the law said. Of reported child abuse in Korea, including emotional abuse, sexual abuse, neglect, as well as physical abuse, 77% of the abuse was found to be perpetrated by the parents. In 2021, Korea did become the fourth country in the Asia-Pacific region to ban all corporal punishment when they amended the Civil Act 1958 and repealed the Article 915, which gave people the right to take disciplinary action against children. I just want to take a minute here to plug the organization mentioned by K-Squared of the Gogo Gayo podcast when I spoke to her and Radhika in my episode about the book Love in the Big City. You can check the links in the show notes to support Ding Dong, which is a LGBTQ plus youth crisis center in Korea. According to the website, quote, Ding Dong is a Korean slang used among lesbian teens when they notice each other. It is also abbreviated to Ding, end quote. In the version of the book The Summer that I own, there is a writer's note at the end, and I'm going to read an excerpt from it right now. And just to let you know, Choi Eun-young is speaking in first person. So everything I say from this point forward are her words and opinions. Quote, My ex-flatmate from the Netherlands once asked me why same-sex marriage is not allowed in Korea. She had a very difficult time understanding the reasoning behind it. It broke my heart. I've long heard people say same-sex relationships and marriage are not appropriate for Korean sentiments. I don't know what Korean sentiments means, though, and it frightens me that sentiments could be used for violating human rights. If the so-called prevailing sentiments involve hatred against minorities, it's time to dissect and examine those sentiments. I feel this pain in my body as I write, caused by people with such sentiments scarring so many others by refusing to accept differences and turning a blind eye to a system in which the majority bullied the minority, end quote. Okay, so that's the end of that excerpt. So about the book this summer, just like with Shoko Smile, I highly recommend this book. I, again, love Choi Eun-young's writing. The version that I have includes the Korean words right next to the English, so if you're a Korean language learner and you get the same copy of the book that I have, you may find it helpful and interesting. The next book that we are taking down from the bookshelf today is Concerning My Daughter by Kim Hyejin. Like the book The Summer, this book is also translated by Jamie Chang. 
Also, I do not know whether Kim Hyejin is part of the queer community or not. This novel is a little bit different in that it's actually not purely about lesbian characters. In fact, the narrator of the book is the lead character, who is a widow, a mother to an adult child, and worker in a nursing care home. I'll just call her mom for short since her character's name is not shared in the book, is unable to accept her daughter's sexuality. She keeps wanting her daughter to live a quote-unquote normal life where she's married to a man and produces kids, but instead her daughter, nicknamed Green, is a cash-strapped contract lecturer at various universities who is financially supported by her girlfriend, nicknamed Lane. Due to the financial circumstances of all the women, Green and Lane move in with Green's mom. This story is told in a somewhat similar manner to The Summer in that it's told through mom's inner thoughts, much of which is homophobic, so if you decide to read this book, do bear that in mind. Mom is extremely conflicted. Thanks to her experience as a carer in a nursing home where she looks after Jen, a woman who previously had an incredibly rich and fulfilling life but is now stuck in a nursing home without anyone to visit her, mom is incredibly panicked about living and dying alone. Since her own husband died, it's clear that mom feels a deep loneliness and wants to be close to her daughter, even though she can't really relate to her. She also worries that her daughter, Green, will end up alone, without what she considers to be a proper family. She does not consider Lane, Green's girlfriend, as Green's family. But it's ironic to me that mom thinks that a husband and kids would somehow guarantee her daughter safety from living her final days the way that Jen is, alone, lonely in a nursing home, being looked after by strangers. Mom herself did all of the quote-unquote right things, but she is living as a mature woman working extremely hard at an incredibly physically demanding job and distanced from her daughter. She doesn't appear to have many friends and is quite lonely herself. Despite this, she is very fixated on Green getting married. As I mentioned earlier, Lane, Green's girlfriend, moves into Mom's house with Green and Mom is pretty cold and rude to her. Despite this, Lane is very polite and civil. She's by nature a very considerate person. She makes coffee for herself in the morning and also for mom. She is a chef, so she often serves mom meals. Despite mom's bad attitude and negative belief towards queer people, there are small moments in the book where mom starts to see that Lane isn't a bad person. She acknowledges some of Lane's good points, somewhat begrudgingly. That's not to say that Lane just takes bad treatment from mom. I love the way the character of Lane is written. She informs mom more than once that she has a right to be there because she pays rent and for some of the bills. The moments in which Elaine speaks up for herself come as a reprieve from reading the inner thoughts of mom who takes it personally that her daughter can't live the life that she wants her to live. It reminds me a little bit about the episode I did on Tableau from Epic High, where I discussed the podcast Authentic, the story of Tableau. In my episode where I discussed that podcast with my friend Linda, we discussed the conflicts that arose from Tableau's parents wanting his life to be in this one set certain way, and Tableau envisioning something different. Another aspect of mom's personality that I had a really hard time reading about was her almost insulting ideas of the intimate lives of her daughter and daughter's girlfriend. Although Lane and Green are grown women in their 30s, mom takes it upon herself to notice what they're doing and go in and clean their separate bedrooms. I'll read a small part of the book which shows what's going on in mom's mind when she thinks about them. Quote, they spend the day in separate rooms, so why sleep in one bed at night? What more do they think they can do besides sleeping with their bare flesh touching? End quote. Another plot in the book is when Lane and Green get involved in protests at the university Green works at, 
which has started firing or not renewing the contracts of some of the professors. The faction of faculty and staff protesting these firings believes they were done because of the professors being gay. Mom is really annoyed at Green for protesting and getting involved of the firings of people who are not Green herself. She thinks the firings have nothing to do with Green. She just fails to make the connection that the fact that the professors are gay might have something to do with her own daughter's life. Even though her daughter is living with her girlfriend in her house, it's just so weird the cognitive dissonance that some people can experience. This brings me to the need for Korea to create anti-discrimination legislation. As I discussed in my previous episodes in this Pride season, one thing that Korea does not have is any formal law preventing businesses, places of work, or any entity from discriminating against minority populations, such as foreigners, disabled people, people of other races, women, people who are queer. Therefore, although this is a fictional book, if a university were to start firing professors just for being gay, there would be no legal recourse and nothing legally stopping them. In my episode about Kim Ji-yong, born 1982, we also talked about how women are frequently discriminated against in the workplace in Korea. An article in the Korea Herald states, quote, Of course, a law alone won't solve all problems, but Representative Jang is convinced that it will create a pathway to solving cases of discrimination more easily while working as a deterrent. They quote Representative Jang as saying, quote, Once passed, people will have a standard to look to when they think about discrimination, how to be careful and reflect on themselves, will have a reasonable tool that protects citizens from unjust discrimination, end quote. So that's why laws like this are really important, especially if you do believe in human rights and if you believe that all people are created equal. Never take your rights for granted. In researching the acceptance of LGBTQ plus faculty, staff, and students in Korea, I found an interesting little tidbit of news from 2015. If you don't know, Seoul National University is considered the most prestigious university in Korea. It's one of the elite sky schools, if you know what that is, or if you watch the drama Sky Castle. I think you could describe Sky schools akin to something like Ivy League schools in the U.S. In 2015, a 23-year-old student, Kim Bomi, who was running as student body president, said in her campaign speech, quote, I hope that people love themselves for who they are and live with confidence in this world. So I am telling you here that I am a lesbian, end quote. Although she was the only candidate for this election, voter turnout was higher than usual, which seemed to suggest that the students were interested in and supporting of her. Not only that, but her election made headlines around the world, since Korea is known for being conservative in these matters. The fact that her school, the school that's considered the best one in Korea, supported her is a huge deal. Okay, so going back to the book concerning my daughter. Although the homophobia that the mom displays in the book isn't the kind that causes her to disown Green or treat her in a manner that was verbally or physically abusive, I would argue that she was definitely emotionally abusive towards her daughter. She may have had her reasons for feeling the way that she did, but still, abuse is abuse. She was constantly infantilizing her daughter and trying to pressure her daughter to consider her own feelings or get her permission for things that were frankly not her concern. The writer, Kim Hye-jin, does a great job of making the reader feel somewhat sympathetic towards the mom's own concerns and fears about life, while still also making it clear that she was homophobic towards her daughter and her daughter's girlfriend. A CNN article shed some light on what some queer Koreans face from their colleagues, from other people in society, and from their own parents. It says, quote, It was a company dinner that changed Kim Wook-sok's life as he knew it. A co-worker got drunk, slammed the table to get everyone's attention, and outed 20-year-old Kim. It felt like the sky was falling down, Kim told me. I was so scared and shocked. No one expected it. 
Kim, not his real name, was fired immediately, and the restaurant owner, a Christian Protestant, ordered him to leave. He said homosexuality is a sin and it was the cause of AIDS. He told me that he didn't want me to spread homosexuality to other workers, says Kim. But worse was to come. The restaurant owner's son visited Kim's mother to give her the news that her son was gay. At that moment, she told me to leave the house and said, I don't need a son like you. So I was kicked out, end quote. The mom in the book never gets to this point with her own daughter, and in fact appears to blame Lane, the girlfriend, more than her daughter for leading her daughter astray. I will give a slight spoiler here. Although mom is not really able to be one of those super supportive moms, she does gain some new perspective after protests at Green School turn violent. That doesn't mean she suddenly became a P-flag mom. If you don't know what that is, P-flag is an organization founded in the United States which used to stand for Parents, Families, and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, but was later changed to just PFLAG. In Korea, the organization is called Parents, Families, and Friends of LGBTQ plus people in Korea, PFLAG Korea, where it was founded in 2014. If you ever attend a Pride event, you often will see PFLAG parents marching alongside their children or in memory of their children, because let's not forget homophobia, along with other forms of discrimination and persecution against minorities, can be deadly. Often those who have been outcast by their own families are invited to hug members of PFLAG, and this is something done by PFLAG Korea as well. I'll quote from an article about PFLAG Korea that was in the Korea Times. Quote, Kong's activism led to her appearance in the documentary Coming to You, released on November 17, 2021. Directed by Byun Yuri, it features Kang and another brave parent, Nabi, or Jong Eun-hae, 58, mother of a transgender son, and their two-year journey of accepting their children's gender identities and growth as human rights activists with PFLAG Korea. PFLAG Korea is developing collaborative relationships with supportive communities from various backgrounds, including religions and fields of medicine. Catholic and Christian priests, nuns, and doctors at gender clinics and researchers have recently joined the monthly sessions for information. End quote. So as with everything, not everybody in Korea is so unaccepting of minority populations, and people who may have had one set of beliefs may ultimately change them when confronted with these issues on a personal level. Aside from the lesbian storylines, this book, Concerning My Daughter, was a really interesting book from the perspective of a scared, lonely, older woman in Korea. I only focused on the aspects of this story related to the queer issues, but there's definitely more layers to it, such as the way people who live in institutional care are treated. So definitely check it out. One last piece of information I wanted to share is about the translator for both books, Jamie Chang. Jamie was also the translator for Kim Ji-yong, born 1982. In the back of the book, Concerning My Daughter, there is a brief description about the translator, Jamie Chang, that states that she lives in Korea with her wife and her dog. It's always so great to see representation in either the author or the translator of these queer books. So again, if you do want to donate to the organizations that serve queer communities in Korea, please check the links in my show notes. As a reminder, you can reach me on social media on Instagram at kpopbookshelfpod and on Twitter at kpopbookshelf. You can also email me at kpopbookshelfpod at gmail.com. Be sure to check out my blog to see the sources I used for researching this episode. The links in my bio and show notes will take you there. Special thanks to AO for designing my blog. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend about this podcast. Okay, thanks, bye!